Welcome to the Revive Mercy Podcast. This month is It's Okay to Fall. It's a little punny, but it was one of my first themes for a monthly theme. I thought, um, I love this time of year, but also just the, you know, the lessons of how a lot of us, even even if we're good now, weren't always so good <laughs> at, thing, at things, even if we're trying to even get through the most basic things, especially schools out. But at the same time, it's also a time when we kind of remember those hard times and how, you know, it's inspiring when we see people who have been through a lot continue moving forward. Albert Einstein says it this way. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you just keep moving. Today we have a new guest. Her name is Deb um, Lind. Lind, Lind with, yeah, the yeah, H is silent. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that, but thank you for joining <laughs> us and share your insight i just want to share with those who are listening um deb has a book uh her name uh, the book is ptsd survivor warriors as amazon bestseller and she also has a podcast she has much more than just that but uh she'll tell you more thank you so much for joining us absolutely thanks for having me on i just want to give a disclaimer for those who are listening watching um if you're in the united states um and you're in crisis uh, the 98 number is new it's fresh but it's the new crisis lifeline wherever you are in the world i do encourage you to find what resources are available resources look different for everyone across culture you know so i just I, I encourage you to find what's available in your area there's a quote i always start off a quote just to let you know because i know people say better than me albert hubbard said there's no failure except in no longer trying what comes to mind when you hear this quote that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, failure. Well, what I think failure is, I think failure is that when somebody absolutely stops trying and I don't mean stop trying for the moment because a moment could be, or even a day, I mean, someone absolutely stops trying forever. They absolutely quit. And so to me, that means that's ultimate failure. Um, and failure in the sense of we've given up on ourselves. Now, again, we might have moments, maybe even days. I can remember what's interesting about us getting together today is that my no contact anniversary is coming up in a couple days. And I call it an anniversary because it's a, it's a moment in my life where I made the decision to um, take care of myself and break cycles. And I remember that I knew something wasn't quite right when I was laying on the sofa for 10 days. Mm-hmm. So you talk about this quote here about failing. A moment of pausing a failure is not a lifetime of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, those 10 days, that was so abnormal for me to be laying on the sofa for 10 days. And I had little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quote... Yeah, uh, when a person decides they are not going to try to get better, they're not going to seek out resources, and again, it extends longer than a moment, a few days, even 10 days, where they absolutely say, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned cycles and just... The idea is that it's reoccurring. So the negative thought that says I'm not worth it is something that is reinforced. Sometimes right. when a failure, uh, when we say we're a failure, we kind of surround and in some ways, at least from my line of you know, 
working in the field is it gets reinforced in very different ways. <laughs> it gets reinforced with um, just ne- negative self-talk or not having appropriate boundaries to people. Um, one quote I remember, um, well, I guess advice, I don't know if it's quote, the person said, uh, setting up boundaries, uh, the, the person who has the most problem with that, whether family or friends, is the reason why you need to set up boundaries. Because <laughs> usually, right, exactly. <laughs> so, it's very true. When we when we actually initiate a boundary, um, a couple things can happen. One is that in the relationship that you're having with the person or people that you then you set a boundary, it's abnormal behavior. Excuse me, abnormal behavior for that moment and for for that relationship. So there's always going to be pushback. There's always going to be initial pushback. However, if the relationship is healthy, after the pushback happens, like, hey, what are you doing here? This is different. Why did you decide to do that? Oh my gosh, you'll get that kind of a response. And if the relationship is healthy, the boundary is respected. As well as the person or people will say, uh, why are you doing that? And it won't be threatening. It won't be like, what the heck are you doing? You know, that aggressive tone won't be there. Yeah. It'll be more of curiosity and understanding. I'll give you a boundary example. Okay, so when I grew up, there was a boundary of no phone calls before 10 o'clock and no phone calls after 10. So now I have actually my own, and I didn't like that boundary growing up. Okay, just to let you know, I was like, what are you doing, right? But that was the rule. And the irony is there are things that I understand now that one parent did that the other parent did not do. And so for me, I actually have a boundary. Okay, listen, any calls past nine o'clock, I'm going to take as an emergency call because from nine to 10, that is like the quiet time where I do like meditation, um, deep meditation, other types of self-care. I might even just be like, okay, I'm going to read a book, but any call after nine o'clock, is like an emergency call like it's got to be something like hey and everybody knows too you know hey my phone's always on so if you happen to call and you're like i can't sleep at night or there's you know something that you need to you know just hit i got i can't sleep i'm up what do i do this is on my mind they know that they can call um but yes there are boundaries and so if you have a new friend right you can make a new acquaintance and and that you say Hey, you know what? I got this boundary. And or you just say, I got a thing about any calls after nine o'clock. You know, if it's an emergency, I'm always there for you. I'll just let you know that, you know, my, my phone is paused by nine so I can do some self-care. And some people are like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And other people are like, no problem. If you get a person who's like, they constantly are calling like five minutes before nine. Well, I just want to, you know, that's a person who's really testing that boundary. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times when we're out, when we afford ourselves boundaries, we're actually afford ourselves to kind of see what needs to change. The relationship changes, you know, mm-hmm. how we see, how we react to, and our boundaries may change too. Correct. What worked before may not work today, and and one person who well, I, I I take this as a food for thought. Um, not everyone else is emergency hard to say it a lot of times in this field you want to help but if we're helping despite our own needs our right. own health health right they can't it's finding that balance which is tricky and fun deb you're new to the podcast i really uh, i really appreciate you 
coming and taking your time. I don't like, I always like having the moment for you to kind of share what you feel comfortable, a little, little bit about your story, what brought you here. You know, we talked, I briefly mentioned the book and your podcast. Anything else you want to share? The floor is yours. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, one of the common questions that people will ask me is about, you know, with the story, where was the tipping point and the turning point for me with um, making the decision to get, you know, get some sort of help with traumatic stress. And um, shortly, the story, I actually didn't even know it was called something. Mm-hmm. You know, dysfunctional normal is normal. You don't know that it's dysfunctional and unhealthy. Now, there's a there's a, a caveat to that. Um, what I mean as a child, you don't know what you don't know because you're relying on your adults and the people that are around you to that you that you trust them, right? And so, um, fast forward many years, one of my my eldest was actually in preschool, and I um, had a flashback memory. She's actually up on stage doing something, but yet I'm having this memory. And I couldn't get out of this. You know the little kids' chairs, you know, in preschool? Mm-hmm. You know, you're an adult sitting in that chair as it is. <laughs> and I could not get up off that chair. I, I literally felt like I was I was paralyzed. And the next thing I know, she's like, Mommy, let's go get a cookie. And I have no idea how I got to that cookie table. I don't remember it. And um, I called my doctor, right? That's what you do. You know, you call somebody. And I said, you know, I got to get an appointment. And this is a person that... You know, I had known for over a decade, and I'm describing to him what happened. At the same time, I'm earning my doctorate, and I say that because there's a level of um, education and uh, process to get that education, which is you gotta, you know, do your basic studies, and then you can go study on and do your research on what your um, area of expertise is going to be in. And at the time, I thought it was going to be an entrepreneurship. And so um, I'm describing to him what's going on. He's not even listening to me, you know, and um, he's writing out a prescription. He said to me, what pharmacy do you want me to send this to? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And (laughs) and so he's telling me he's writing me a prescription. And I said, for what? And he said, "Um, an antidepressant. And I'm thinking, "Um, no. And then he's going to give me a referral. So I'm quickly getting on my phone to find, and he said to me, this is a traumatic, traumatic stress response. So I'm quickly looking, you know, Googling on my phone, the history, right? Here goes my doctoral studies student, you know, hat on the history of traumatic stress. And so I said to him, I'm not a native Minnesotan. Okay. And I live in Minnesota. So my behavior is, is very direct, you know, um, as I'm more, I'm, I'm from Detroit. I'm an East Sider, you know, um, shout out to three, one, three out there, eight mile. I know where that's at. And, uh, so I said, um, um, you know, over a hundred years of research and doc students graduate every year. And I know what that process means. And this is what we're at. This is, this is the best that we have. And he was so offended. He was like, why are you arguing with me? Like, I'm the doctor. This is what I'm telling you're going to do. And I, um, I said to him, well, we'll see about that. And I literally walked out of that office. I did not take that prescription. Mm-hmm. I went back to school on Monday, talked to the chair of the program. And I said, I need to change my entire studies. And I started studying everything I could about stress in the body, traumatic stress. I even have the book right here. Um, 
Will I Ever Be Good Enough by Carl McBride. That was a book on the 10 days. Remember the 10 days I talked about being on the sofa? Again, I'm not a I'm not a reality TV watcher. I'm not a um, soap opera person or daytime, you know, those talk show hosts. And um, there was a talk show host that was on. I can't believe it. And who was on that show, though, was this woman, this author. And I was laying there thinking to myself, she's talking about me. Mm-hmm. And I I put the book on hold at a local bookstore. And I got to tell you, the shame that I felt walking into that bookstore, I literally felt like I had a scarlet letter on me. Like everybody, a big ass neon sign. It's her. It's her. She, her, right? And I read this book. And I, got, I, I interviewed therapist. I wanted somebody specifically who um, was familiar with narcissistic abuse from a you know narcissistic mother and generational trauma uh, as well as a person who did somatic therapy I mean I had like all these specific requirements and so I started calling therapists locally in the Twin Cities and I'd say I want to talk with you about your practice you know I understand you've got you know this education which checks all the boxes but I knew in my gut that the person I was going to connect with I would just know I mean, it would just feel right. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I met a woman, um, Dr. Barbara Krupp, who is now uh, retired. Mm-hmm. And I owe um, my recovery journey to her, even though I know that there are times where I would say to her, I don't think I'm disciplined, Barbara. And she would say to me, okay, let's just, just pause for a second. Just take a minute. Just listen to yourself. You come in every week, mm-hmm. every week. If I give you something to do, you do it. Does that sound like somebody who's not disciplined? So for me, the journey was that experience with my um, eldest and then um, realizing what are the options out there for um, recovery and treatment, saying that, yeah, no, I'm not going to just be spoon-fed something and just call it a day and that's it. Um, I have enough adverse reactions to medications as it is. And, and the other thing is my lifestyle is not like that. I'm more of a well, let's see if I could take a Tylenol or, you know, a Tylenol for a headache, or maybe if I inhale um, orange oil and they both had the same effect, which one do, you know, which one's Deb going to do? The Deb's going to do the orange oil. I'm not going to ingest something. It just, it's just not my lifestyle. And I know that, you know, medications do work for others, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And I say fine in the sense that our journey is, is personalized. There's no vanilla fix, right? What works for one person might not work for somebody else. What might work for me today might not work for me tomorrow. What doesn't work for me today might work tomorrow. The point of sharing our story is, well, there's many different points, but one in particular is that it gives hope to other people because there's somebody that's listening right now thinking, um, you know, that's me too, but I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't really know if I can. And while we might hear the stories from, you know, a large group of people, there's always that one story that resonates with us. There's always that one person for some reason. Mm-hmm. It could be my hair. It could be, I don't know, the way that my dialect is. I have no idea. But there's one person who touches us that mm-hmm. gives us the hope. And, and I had that too. I, I had that also. Um, a person that touched my life that I was like, you know what? You are the most bravest person. And whenever I feel like I can't do something, I'll say to myself, okay, now you need to put your big girl pants on, which 
aka are also leather black pants <laughs> and you'll see me posting on social media okay i got my leather bit you know pants on today guys and um yeah you do what you can in that moment and and doing your best looks different and there are moments where you're going to you know fall and that's okay there are moments where you might feel like you're rocky balboa and you're you know on the ground you know people just keep kicking and kicking and you think okay i can't take anymore so when's it gonna i gotta get up you know i've got to get up and it's okay to lay down on the ground Mm. it's okay to lay there and go you know what i've had it oh my gosh and then somebody might extend a hand you might find the inner strength again i have a phrase that i like to use when i feel like okay there's nobody around i gotta get my butt up you know and it's uh remember who you are because oftentimes with trauma survivors, you know, the the impression of self is distorted because of the perpetual conditioning. Mm-hmm. Our spirit knows who we are. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that because there are things that were said uh, by the narcissistic mother that I've learned through education, not formally education, but learning about trauma and intergenerational um, narcissistic abuse and narcissistic abuse with mother-daughter relationships. What does that look like? And when you start noticing the patterns and you can identify, is this mine to own or is this someone else's? And when you can start seeing those connections and having those awareness moments, then I understand and other people can understand well, that's not mine. So uh, it's like the like the gift, right? That gift that you get, and you're like, oh my gosh, why did you think that I would like this? Yeah. Why would you think that I would like being told that you know I can't, I can't do education. I I'm not smart enough to do it. You know. Well, if you just applied yourself, there was always that tone too. You know that that they could speak to me, and everybody else would think, oh, you know, she's so nice, and yet I know exactly what that means, right? The covert you know, coercion and uh, coercive control. And um, when you remember who you are and you have those moments of that reconditioning, thinking popping back up, when you can actually pause and say, again, it's it's doing work and finding out what works for you. And this is one thing that works for me is when those things happen, I'll say to myself, I even have a bracelet too. This is remember who you are. So when I don't remember, I can remember. It's like, all right, whose is that? Is that yours? No, it's not. So yeah. guess what? Give the gift back. Now, you know what? I really appreciate that, but um, I can't return it because I'm not going to get anything for it. You know, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to go to Target and say, they'll say, oh, would you like to have a gift card and replacement? Um, I'm not going to be able to get my childhood back or another five years or whatever years that I've gone through and continuing to do the work on, on knowing about me, learning about things that are still um, reactive. And um, saying, yeah, you know what? Um, there's, there it is. That's, that's yours to own. It's yours to own, and that was a decision and a choice that they made to not be the cycle breaker. Yeah. And I think that's one of the saddest things is when, uh, again, going back to the first quote, mm-hmm. is that humanity, we are compassionate for one another, especially when we mess up. And especially with kids, right? Kids make mistakes. Don't worry about it. We're going to work on it, right? And with adults, we we sometimes extend that same grace and, and, and compassion to one another. And um, and I do. I, I 
you know, um, my biological mother just turned 83 years old. And I think to myself, that is so sad. That is so sad that still you've chosen to not do the work. That you've chosen to mm-hmm. not break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Still. And, yeah. and I think that's the saddest thing because once that person's life is um, over... There is no repair for that person's soul or spirit. And I truly believe that. I, tru- I truly believe that the essence of a person will not be at rest. You know, we, we can't cognitively escape the things that, that we suppress. And right now what we do is people will do addictions and people will, you know, have gambling addictions, drug addiction, addictions. I will say, I will say that I'm writing a, another book, which is my my memoir and in in one of the chapters i have that is a section on gratitude Mm -hmm. and i um people have asked me many times so are you dual diagnosis which means um you know mental health challenge along with some sort of substance abuse and i've said no i don't have the substance abuse element i would have I would have been, um, I would have, I was too afraid to do any alcohol or drug usage um, growing up. The fear of, you know, getting the crap beaten out of me was more fearful than actually, than actually doing that. There, that, and the other thing is, I was responsible um, to be um, parenting the parent and then taking care of the household. So I couldn't have been intoxicated and then taking care of the household. Again, the repercussions to do that were would have been that was more fearful than anything. So the gratitude piece in this chapter is that um, I'm actually gr- grateful for that fear because I could have seen myself reflecting back easily going down the path of um, some sort of substance abuse, whether it was alcohol. I could, and actually, I don't drink either because I can't. I could drink a half a glass of wine, and I'm like totally under the table. And I don't, so I don't drink. I love to cook, and I cook with it, <laughs> but I can't. I can't handle any alcohol yeah. whatsoever. And so I, I see that, and it's like I writing this chapter. It's like you know what? So I'm actually glad that the fear of that was there because I could have easily seen myself, you know, going down some sort of trajectory. I had a. Um, a principal when I was in, in seventh grade, so I was 13 years old, and I was protesting against a teacher that was smoking in class. Mm. So, um, you know, like every 13-year-old kid, what do you do? You light up in class, right? Mm. You just, mm. I took a cigarette from a girl that I knew smoked, and I lit it right up. You know, it took a hit and just stood right there, you know? Anyway, I got suspended, and um, and I say that because in that office... I had never gotten in trouble ever at school for anything, right? But I couldn't stand this this teacher constantly smoking in class. Mm. Per, you know, the teachers were supposed to smoke in the teachers' lounge, and he and he would not stop, even though you know you go to the counselors and you're telling people. And so this guy constantly smoked in class. So I was like, all right, well, if you can do it, I'm going to do it. No one's listening to me. And um, this principal told me that you're going to be a juvenile delinquent. A pregnant teenager, a runaway, or a drug addict. I was 13 years old, never gotten in trouble in school ever, and I didn't even know what 
uh, I knew what juvenile meant, but I didn't know what the word delinquent meant. And so I'm talking, this is a long time ago, right? I mean, this mm. is where I, you know, you still a card catalog. <laughs> you go to the library and they got like this massive yeah. dictionary, right? <laughs> like this huge thing. Looks like something out of Harry Potter, right? Yeah. And you're flipping through those, you know, very delicate pages. They would always tell you to make sure you didn't lick your fingers or tear into the pages, right? The librarians. Mm. And looking up the word, what delinquent meant, I, I was devastated. Mm. It's actually, I was devastated because I thought I have another person in my life who's mm. telling me I'm going to be nothing. And mm. after I got my doctorate, I actually looked up this principal and um, and he, he, he passed away, which is unfortunate. So I was going to write him a letter and say, you know what? You had an opportunity to be a hero to a kid who never got into trouble mm. to actually say what's going on in your family life. But instead, he proceeded to tell me that I was going to amount to be nothing. And I had already heard that so many times, that message at home, that mm. I was going to be nothing. I was never going to amount to anything, be anything. And um, anytime I ever did accomplish something, it was always, again, met with that disdain of, you know, that tone of, well, you always knew you, you could do it if you just applied yourself kind of thing. But yeah. to the person that's listening that my story resonates, what I want you to know is that if there's a if, if you feel like there is something about you that's always been different so like them you know the disney movie cinderella that resonates or watching harry potter and you say to yourself you know what i i feel like i've been that kid underneath you know the stairwell too um there's always just been something you know the ugly duckling story i can remember i used to think that was like absolutely an incredible story when i was a kid but Cinderella always resonated with me, right? And um, if those stories resonate with you, they touch you in some way, then there is something special about you. Not different. There's something special. And what I've realized too, especially with narcissi narcissistic abusers, is the depth of jealousy and envy runs so deep that even if it's the person's own child, they will still carry that envy and jealousy. And those elements are not yours to hold. Mm -hmm. You're special in your own right as your own spirit. And no, no one I, can take that away. Yeah, and I, you know, I was listening to your story and just, there's so many parts that I was like, oh, oh. But one thing I wanted to say was, the idea that we have a decision we have a choice sometimes yeah. we kind of forget that we do and a lot of times unfortunately we're rushed this the world we live in is so rushed it's like well i i talk to you right now and i'm like the first thing i say is how are you and a lot of people say before they'll say i'm okay or whatever superficial now it's how busy you are because the busyness is the stamp of of how valued you are sometimes and how you see yourself so i'm not i'm not to get away from what you shared because of what i want to also say commend you on is you know a lot of times we forget that we don't allow ourselves to think through things and that's what boundaries help us do like mm -hmm. the, um you can know a lot of information doesn't impress me if you're able to think through it and you know, I might not agree with a person, but if they thought it through and they they feel confident, who am I to say? 
You know, for me, I feel that's that's where the empowerment of our choices are. I ask a, one of my clients, I'm like, what do you like to do as a hobby? Sometimes, a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't feel they have a hobby or even have time for a hobby or even as afforded the ability to have one. And for me, that's, that's alarming and also a lot of times as simple as that is, it speaks a lot of volumes of how we think and what we think success is. Um, when yeah. you talk about mental health, you said you didn't take the medicine. You know, a lot of times people just, you know, I, I, they just go with, without even following through. Because everyone, especially with the globalization, I had a um, guest before about food and how food kind of reacts to us differently. Um, we cannot yeah. just assume that just how one thing works. I know family members in my family cannot respond, do not respond well with medication. So finding and being intentional about your care is vital you know yeah. if you need a second opinion get a second yeah if you if it's but if you're listening to everyone else if you're so concerned about that and not having any real true boundaries unfortunately you could get lost you could get bitter about things around you and you don't even know why are and I, I just really am impressed by you sharing your story and also the sad part about your principle that you mentioned is a lot of us generalize things you, the person might be inconvenient kids could be inconvenient but you cannot generalize their whole life to four different avenues of outcome because everyone's personality there's always that chance there's always that choice the person can make and for me unfortunately it takes work. It takes work to listen. It takes work to say individualize the people we meet. But stories are one of the most unique ways we can actually communicate these inspiration most effectively. Uh, I feel stories are some of the most compelling ways to communicate. We struggle today to communicate a lot of times, even just day to day with our friends and families. There's this word. My wife has this book. It's called Untranslatable Words. I'm going to ruin this entire word. Como viere. I don't know. But it says to be moved in a heartwarming way, usually to a story that moved you to tears. This has been one of those movies, those been those stories, but there's something about it that connects you at a very fundamental level when it comes to why we do what we do. You mentioned who am I? What I ask myself? Why, am I, why do I do what I do? Like a lot of times, it's a scary question if you're just going into it deep and you're not really pausing to ask yourself those questions. And I'm going to ask you about that. There's this one other quote. Um, this from Jonathan Saffron. For he says, "Songs are as sad as the listeners are." You know, I love that true. quote. It's 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 another way we communicate is through music. I love yes. music. Um, I do music too. Is, way to kind of express even words don't do it justice if you don't have the kind of melody right and all that um so i want to ask you um when it comes to well i don't have it here but you mentioned your story what did you feel were the things that what didn't help you during that journey and what did? I know you kind of subtly said, but those who are listening today, know, hearing your story, what do you feel during that whole kind of struggle? What helped you kind of rediscover yourself, kind of move forward, 
write the book and what did not help you? Yeah, great questions. Um, first of all, I want to say that music when I was a kid was something that I could always listen to. And if it wasn't for music, um, I don't know really where I would be. I seriously don't. I love music. I have music playing all the time. Most of the time, not all the time. My kids are very into music. Both my kids, one of my kids sings, another one uh, plays an instrument. And um, last year, Thanksgiving, we painted the whole house. That was one of our little projects, and we had music going. A couple of kids were over to help out. I told them, you're going to learn how to paint. You'll never have to pay a contractor ever again to do it. And they're all in choir. And it was so cool because, I mean, it was like acapella. And, you know, you're moving furniture, so the house sounds different. Um, anyway, but music is, I, I want to touch on music because it really is important. It shows about um, a person's emotions of where they're at. It can actually transport us back into time. And I recently wrote a quote on Twitter and said that um, that um, Malone is the new Reznor because Post Malone's music, um, for me, is very moving. But um, as as is, I mean, I can remember years ago, I couldn't. There were songs I couldn't listen to, and that through the journey, the healing journey, I would force myself to listen to certain songs mm. and and pay attention to how I really felt. And there were times where I would say to myself, you know what, that song doesn't have the same response anymore. Mm-hmm. That's, for me, progress. Um, things that that worked well for me were um, food for one thing, and I is identifying what makes my body feel okay. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I realized with food in particular is um, things that... I don't digest very well and so they make me feel sluggish and I and I realized just like with alcohol I didn't like how my body felt there are certain foods that I don't like how my body feels salt is another one I have a low tolerance to um, to salt so identifying foods the other thing is that some people um, have said that I'm stubborn (laughs) and what I would say is I'm not stubborn, I'm determined. Mm. So when someone says you can't do something, right? So a person tells somebody that, well, you can't do that. Some people will react and say, ooh, I'm going to show you. That wasn't my reaction, and it's still not my reaction today. My reaction is, why would you think that I can't Mm -hmm. when I feel that I can? Mm -hmm. And you are a family member or you are a friend. Why would you... Mm. Why would you limit me, right? Why I don't limit myself, so why are you limiting me? Is there something I don't see in myself? So I I identified that my stubbornness, because one person said that, right? That's why it's coming to my brain. I'm a determined pe- person. If if someone if I'm trying to research something and someone's like, oh yeah, you can't find that. Nah, I find it. I always do. And I just know it's you keep track of your patterns, right? You know who you are, you know your patterns. So I would say determination is a quality about me um, that has been very helpful. And the other thing is I'm really curious. I'm going to knock on wood here. I love this about myself. Love in the sense of not like I'm uh, um, I'm egotistical or, you know, I'm I'm losing the escape of the word is, you know, like when a person's like really fond about themselves, that kind of thing. It is literally something that I enjoy about myself, and I have a I have a curious nature. So, like for example, um, you want to go on a road trip? 
let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did this last weekend. Like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's get in the car. Let's go. We're taking back roads, right? Mm. Put your phones down and we're going to look out the window and see what we see and where we go. I have, I have always been curious. I've traveled by myself many times. I've been to, you know, Europe by myself. Just like mm. I have, uh, I got caught by the kids a few times where I'm just hopping in the plane and it's like, you know, you do like the thing at night. Okay, the kids are with their dad. What are we doing? Hey, is there a cheap flight that I can go watch a baseball game? I can go to Fenway? <laughs> Seriously, I kid yeah. you not. I'm messaging friends. Hey, I'm getting up in the morning. I got to make a six o'clock flight. I'm going to Boston. What are you talking about? Yep, I'm going to be at Fenway. I'm going to go see the Yankees and the Red Sox. I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Let's do it. And then I post something on Instagram. And one of my other kids is like, Mom, are you at Fenway? It's like, oh, I'm busted. But last minute stuff, the curiosity, it's like, if I, if I want to explore it, then let's do it. You know, I used to own a Jeep and I decided one summer, okay, I'm going to leave the, you know, doors at home and I'm going to tour from Detroit all the way down to the Southwest and then bring myself back up to Aspen. Why not? Why not? You got the time, you got the drive, go do it. Um, you're only limited by what you say you're limited. So the two things that have really been helpful for me, actually three, music, and then we have my determination, and then my sense of curiosity. I like that about myself. I am still curious. I love when kids are still playful, and I tell both my kids and even my friends, always, always embrace your inner child. Never let that goofiness go. If someone tells you that you're immature and you're goofy, you know what? <laughs> then you got to reevaluate. Do I really want you in my life? I'll give you another example. It's Halloween season, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what happens? What do I do? I scope out. All right. When's ha- when does Target and Home Depot and Lowe's? When do they all have their Halloween stuff out? Like when are they putting it out? Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, you know, when you're a mom and you're bringing your kids when they're little, you got to find things to keep them occupied. I'd actually go in it. Well, buttons—they all say "Try me," right? Okay, so now I've 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 moved in. I've advanced from just playing with everything, like turning it all on, to now doing selfies with things, right? You know, there's mm. smush mellows and everything. You know, they're like photo bombing. Because I talk about hobbies, I've taken up photography, and I absolutely love it. It's like, okay, what kind of images can we get? What am I seeing in nature, as well as you know, embracing that inner child and that curiosity and that playfulness we don't get to play as much as adults when i do workshops i always have toys and and play-doh it's so funny like people will open up the can and the first thing they do is they smell it it's like yes do you remember it's a fresh can yes and it's yours to take home a little hot rod cars and and uh, the crayon box and they're all unused because guess what those are yours to take home and they do the same thing like oh they're all sharp and i mean you can see it they get playful and um, so, yeah, so I go to the different stores and flip on all. And I got the person at Target was looking. And I said, it says, try me, you know, try me. <laughs> there, were, there were some other kids there. And I'm like, it says, try me. But I was like the adult. And they're looking at me. I'm like, you got to maintain and always have your inner child. You got to be playful. Yeah. So those are some things that were helpful. I think that if I was to say things that didn't help me, and I, I would actually, the one that um, comes to mind that I still struggle with are the residual things that still play in my mind that um, that I wish didn't. Those, those things uh, get in the way. Um, and then I would also say um, community. You know, um, it's hard to make friends as an adult and it's 
it's difficult to make friends and build a community where, um, you know, there's no sidewalks anymore. There's no porches anymore. There's, you know, there's, um, everyone's got their own little space and, Mm -hmm. or, or people will say things like, well, I already have my own friends. I don't need anymore. I met yesterday. I got challenged by a friend of mine who lives in Philadelphia, by the way, and the Phillies are doing amazing right now in the World Series. Actually, they haven't gone to the World Series, so maybe they will since I said it. That would be so amazing because <laughs> I'm rooting for Phillies. Um, is to, you know, meet new people. And it's like, yeah, but when, you, when you're constantly being met with the, um, you know, the rejection and the um, we'll get together, we don't get together, we had the pandemic, you know, and you're taking care of your children, so I said to her, all right, all right, all right, I'll go meet somebody. So I actually met somebody yesterday who's from Columbia, and we had coffee, which was really fun. And um, come to find out, I actually said to her, I like to cook. And I wouldn't say cooking is a hobby. It's more of a passion that I like. When I feel kind of like, oh, I don't know, things aren't working well, I'll go make some Greek food because I'm a Greek-American. <laughs> and we were talking about Colombian food. And so I said, oh, I would love how to you know, learn how to make something. And then she's, and I said, but the way that you eat it, don't make it for me. Like, you know, you think I don't want to eat the way I'm like, if I came to your house and it was like a holiday mm-hmm. and I just happened to pop in, right. And everything would be there. That's how I want to try. And so then I said to her, you know, what kind of food do you like? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I like Greek food. I'm like, I'm a Greek American. She's like, no way. I'm like, oh, that's it. So, so we've agreed that uh, we're going to get together week after next. We're going to do some cooking. Um, other things that don't work well um i would say another thing that i paused on with the pandemic that i you know i wish i wouldn't have i was super fit pre-covid i mean i was hitting the gym lifting five days a week and it was crazy and i had a it was great though i mean i was was not tired um i liked being super healthy and then we had the pandemic hit i'm an older person and so what i realized that the pounds pack on faster than what they come off and I wish if I could say what I would would have done differently is um, I would have always had a home gym instead of going to the gym um, because that really helped my confidence and my um, managing stress and some of those thoughts because I would just hit the weights whenever that was actually my promise to myself I, I often say to this phrase which is if you can't keep a promise to yourself who can you keep a promise to and so my my gig to myself was whenever you're feeling like that I had to do a plank see how long I could do my plank for (laughs) well didn't know that a plank can actually transform you know your back and your shoulders which is amazing and then also your core because you're you know your core is always engaged and then um yeah hit the weights that was my that that was my promise to myself and it didn't matter what time because the gym that i went to was open 24 hours and so yeah so the pandemic hit and so now i'm um getting myself back into that but uh, it definitely takes a lot longer now that i'm older for it to come off you know you mentioned um curiosity i remember with the pandemic me and my wife were just you know i was working from home and i'm just like we just have to get out we just need to drive somewhere. I don't care. Throw your <laughs> phone somewhere else. We're just driving. And I, I remember you saying just going back roads. I just, for me, was, you know, even before the pandemic, you go to the restaurant, people meet, reunion, family reunion, everyone's in their little bubble of, and I'm guilty of it. You're just so important and busy of looking at your text 
and everything else not being present, um, what I've been really practicing, at least for those, um, is just trying to be present with people, be better at communicating. Um, it's not, you know, uh, it doesn't, I don't need to reach this text right now. I can yeah, talk right. to them later. Well, the urgency to kind of put on ourselves and kind of can actually, actually, you know, I just remember feeling a lot of stress because it's always just kind of, well, what if, no, pause. Like you said, you set those boundaries yep. and um, do that. And I want to also say, uh, we've been saying this kind of indirectly, the most important conversation you'll ever have <laughs> are the ones you'll have with yourself. Mm -hmm. David, go again. Go you. Yep. That, that's pretty true. And um, Yulia Perlada, she says, it doesn't matter how strong and well prepared you are if you have no direction. So when you're able to give yourself time that direction will change like you said like i think the adjustment in being part of that adjustment is important we can adjust to some crappy situations we can be so we can kind of get used to really unhealthy crappy situations but the idea is that we start making those choices to lead in a direction that's a little more positive I want to ask you just a final thoughts as we wrap up. Any final thoughts you want to share with us and um, as we wrap up this episode today? I would say to the folks that are still listening, and again, thank you for having me on, um, and the people that are still listening right now, thank you for sticking around and, and listening. I would, um, I would, two things. One, I would say we're hard on ourselves. And if you can go to bed at night, and you can look at yourself in the, you know, look at your face, you know, in the mirror, right in the bathroom. And if you can look at your face and you can look at yourself in the eyes and say, you know what, today I did good, then that's good. Meaning it doesn't, anything else, the details of the good, we're not talking about that. Just look at yourself in the eyes and say, you know what, I did good today. And if you can do that and, and it looks different each day, that's cool. All right. No beating ourselves up anymore. That has to stop. We've had people um, do awful things. We don't need to do awful things to ourselves. We need to extend kindness to ourselves. The second thing that I would say is if you look at yourself in the eyes and you say, you know what, yeah, I kind of fell short on this. Um, I've been known to be a hothead, you know, like there was a situation that happened yesterday and I was like, okay, I, I did everything possible. I'm good. I did everything. I did my work. I did all the stuff that I tell myself to do. And I was so upset yet. <laughs> and I said to myself, when I looked at myself in the mirror, and you did good. And you did good. And yes, the, the emotions that come with when you do good and other people don't to us, that can still be hurtful. That can mm -hmm. still be hurtful. So on days where we feel like we fell short, then we say to ourselves, we can do better tomorrow. And that's okay. Not, no shaming. It's an awareness of, I did my best. I fell short on these areas. Not the whole day wasn't ruined. Just, a, just a, you know, slices of moments. We can do better the next time that situation comes up. We'll practice to do better again. And for other folks that do to us that we wouldn't do to them, they made a choice that you wouldn't have made. And it's not having hope that they'll change. I've released the, the attachment of hope, but it is to say the recognition and the awareness 
that they didn't make a decision that I would have made to them. So that's a different kind of conversation. But the thing is to say to a person, we need to stop being so hard on ourselves. We need to extend the same kindness and courtesies and love that we do to others, to ourselves. And um, the last thing that I would say is love is the antidote to pain and suffering. Mm. I also uh, want to piggyback on that is a lot of times if we're kind of be really harsh on ourselves on how fast or not things are not coming <laughs> or improving, we have to look at the span of how long that thing has been in our lives. And if you rationally think about it, you're being kind of unrealistic on what your expectations are. To piggyback on what you said, if you don't, if you fall short, you know, one of the, I think in one of the quotes or one of the things that I've heard said is, it didn't work out today, let's try tomorrow. Like it's right. about that. It's a journey. Like honestly, there's certain things that I know I'm very good at. When you know your limits, you can really move forward quicker because you don't waste. You start to build on. You understand your weaknesses and your strengths that kind of guide the way you will go about achieving some of these objectives and goals. What you want to reach. So when you're able to say, "Okay, I'm, I did. It didn't work today. Let me try again tomorrow." You honestly are just journey because you, you, your value is not attached on you failing at all yeah. because that's part of it that's and that's actually being really responsible too there's there's the responsibility um element when we say you know the accountability we're accountable to ourselves when i can say that yeah you know what all right that that moment wasn't i mean yeah that situation in the day it wasn't the whole day that was it that was yeah. you know um just you know distorted it was a moment that and and it's okay you know it we we when we're on this journey it's a process of that self-awareness you know we we learn what our reactors are we learn we have breakthrough moments you know the cool thing is too is when a person has a breakthrough moment do you know what that means that means another one's coming when you experience your first breakthrough moment, wow, you know what? I'm not having a reaction to that. Oh my gosh, that doesn't bother me anymore. Wait a minute. That's awesome. Then another one's coming. It might be, I don't know, two weeks or two months down the road, but another one's coming. And uh, I just want to share with those who are listening, watching, everything that um, Deb, her book, everything that's coming out will be in the notes. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me on. Remember to stay updated with Rodman's Season of Various Platform. RodmanCFL.com is a website. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. This will The video will be on the YouTube. You can go on the website to listen to the audio. I'll leave you with this last quote. This goodbye for now. From Thomas Loyal, Lloyd Quall. Quail? Oh, How do you say the last word? I don't know. Thomas um, Lloyd Qualls. Qualls, yeah. Every answer can be followed by another question. I encourage everyone listening to dive deeper, invest in yourself. Thank you again, Deb, for joining us. Oh, thanks so much.